Okay, good morning, Gateway family. I am glad to see you on this Labor Day weekend. We are thrilled that we get to gather together and to worship the Lord, to sing His praises, to study His Word, to pray together as a family of faith. And I'm thrilled for the opportunity we have for those of you here in the sanctuary and those in the gym and those who are worshiping from home, even for some of you who are worshiping while you're traveling and away this weekend. We are thankful we get to gather together for this time together. Just several opportunities going on in the life of the church that we want to make you aware of. First of all, for the ladies, there's some midweek Bible studies that are starting back this Wednesday for you. Uh, there's going to be a study of Jonah that's led by Trish Butterfield. That's going to be in person here in the building Wednesday at 6 o'clock. She's also offering a Zoom, and we know not everyone is able to get out yet with COVID still carrying on. And so if you'd like to do a ladies Bible study, but be able to have community, but do it still from home, that'll be on Monday night starting a week starting a week from tomorrow. We're not starting tomorrow because of Labor Day, but a week from tomorrow. And so Trish is here in the room somewhere. Where's Trish? If you, there's Trish back there in the corner. So if you're in the room here in the sanctuary and want to know more, see Trish. We have the books in for you. It's going to be a great study. Also on Wednesday night, Karen Fowler is going to be starting a study as well called Discerning the Voice of God. It'll be in person here in the building as well. On Wednesday nights, Karen is back over here. Wave as well. So ladies, if you want to learn more, they're both on this side of the room after the service. So you can come talk to Karen about that or Trish about that, but that'll begin this Wednesday. Please note there is no childcare. We're not back to our full Wednesday schedule. We're phasing things back in as we continue to evaluate coronavirus and how to build community and still seek to stay healthy during this season. So there's no childcare yet, but dads, hope you can step up and watch your kids so your wives can come and build community <clears throat> during this time. Now, the flip of that is we have some opportunities for the men as well. So men, I hope your wives can watch the kids while you come out. This coming Saturday, we have a um, men's hike on a Saturday. We're going up to the, it's called the Deadening Alpine Trail. It's a strenuous hike up near Lake Martin. It's about a three and a half mile hike. It's a chance for us to leave here at nine o'clock, drive up to Lake Martin, and it's about a three and a half mile trail that we will get to do together to build community. We'll take a picnic lunch, leave them in the cars, and we'll have a chance to just to build community, enjoy God's creation. Mike Presley, who is in the back corner there, so if you need to talk to people about it, I'm convinced they're all on this side of the room today for some reason. So Mike is there, and Mike can tell you more about that. There's no cost for the men's hiking trip with this, but we do need you to sign up ahead of time so we can get you important information. So please visit our website, gatewaybaptist.com slash blog. You'll see at the top and sign up to let us know you're coming. Just two more things. There's two outreach opportunities we want you to be aware of as we want to serve the community and reach the nations. First, um, Audrey's been talking about Operation Christmas Child in recent weeks. And so if you would like to be involved with that and to bless the nations by giving a gift to children overseas and then getting the gospel to them through that, it's a great way to do that. In the back of the room, you have Missy's right there with the boxes. The boxes are at the back doors. If you would like um, to get a box to pack for Operation Christmas Child, it's a great way to Give gifts to kids around the world and unreached people groups and yet get the gospel to them as well. Last announcement, we have something we call, we've called for years the Capitol Heights Middle School Ministry. It's helping one of the neediest schools in the area. We've renamed it Hopes now. Seth cast the vision for you that last week of how we believe God is calling us to broaden what we're doing beyond just Capitol Heights in the future. And so we're calling it helping our public education system or Hopes. And so not this Saturday the 12th, but the following Saturday the 19th, we're going to have a serve day. We as a church is going to come together. You can bring your kids with you. We're going to put out fresh pines for all around the campus and cut bushes and weed eat and edge and pick up trash and then prayer walk the school campus as they're getting ready for students to return. We just want to bless this school that has so much need. We did this last year before the start of the school and it was such a special evening. We're going to do this on a Saturday this year to hopefully make it easier for everyone to participate. So I hope you'll visit our blog and learn more about that. As we prepare our hearts this morning to, to sing God's praises, I want us to read the scripture today. Can I ask you to stay in, please, as I read God's word for us? I want you to hear from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning. Listen to what Paul says to the people at Thessalonica. But we are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, 
because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Friends, think about that phrase right there, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. We get to celebrate this morning as we sing the good hope we've received through the grace of God. Let's sing about the hope we have in Christ this morning. Is our hope is our hope in life and death. Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart? from his command and what will keep us to what will keep the end the love of Christ on which we stand and oh sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal oh sing Hallelujah, thou and ever we confess Christ our hope and life and troubled soul God is good God is good where is his grace and goodness known in our great redeemer's blood who holds our faith when fears arise who stands above the stormy child who sins away that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ, and oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal, oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we Christ, our hope in life and death. 
Him we stand. 
you here on Sunday morning. That it is more than coming together to worship corporately. It's more than coming together to sit under the teaching of the word. But as we leave this place, that we would go back into our communities and that you, Holy Spirit, would cause us to live these things out. To be salt and light to our neighbors and our workplaces. That we would make you known throughout this city, Father. And that people would desire to know you more because of the manner in which we live our lives. That we would live our lives in such a way that they would ask us what is the hope we have within us and that we would be prepared to give those answers, Lord. Lord, we pray for, for this Hope's ministry to the schools of Montgomery, Lord. We just pray that you would continue to open doors to minister, Lord. There is such need in this city. There is oppression in this city. There is poverty in this city. And those things affect um, so much, Lord. And Lord, we just pray that you would continue to give us opportunity and resources and people and energy and all of these things, Father, uh, to move into those places. Lord, we pray that we would not grow weary of doing good, that uh, we would overcome evil with good, Father, and that you would just continue to stir not just this church, but the church of Montgomery as a whole to minister the gospel in our public education system. We just need your wisdom and your guidance and your direction and your favor and your blessing, Lord. We just submit that to you and ask you to lead us in that. Lord, we, we pray for Larry Forston, Lord, who's uh, been diagnosed with cancer. Um, treatment has started, but Father, we just cry out for your mercy this morning. We pray that you would touch his body. We, we pray that you would bring healing. We pray that you would bring him comfort, he and his family, Lord. We pray that you would just visit him in this time of suffering and trial. And we ask for your kingdom to come and your will to be done, Lord. That you would just, just be over this situation, be in this situation, and bring great comfort to Larry and his family now. Just help them, Lord, in that. We pray for our, for our government, Lord. We pray for Governor Ivey and for Mayor Reed and Chief Finley. We just pray for wisdom uh, for, those, for each one of those people, Father. We pray that they would humble themselves before you. We pray that they would seek your wisdom. Lord, we pray that they would come to faith in you if they don't know you already. We pray that you would watch over them and protect them and that you would give them great guidance in this time, Father. There's just so many things facing each one of them, Lord. We just pray for your mercy in that. We pray, Lord, for our unreached people group this week, the Chara of Ethiopia. And Lord, they practice their own form of religion um, that is not Christianity. And so we just pray that you would raise up missionaries to send to that people group, Father. Um, missionaries from Ethiopia or other parts of the world to go and to reach them for the sake of your gospel, that they would receive that word, Father. Your word tells us that how can we believe if we haven't heard? And beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. And so, Lord, we pray that for the people group, the Chara of Ethiopia, that, that people would go to them and proclaim the gospel to them, Lord. And, Lord, we pray for the offering given today and online. We just pray that that would be a form of worship that each one of us would engage in, that we would not view it as just, a, as just money, Lord, as just that, but we would view it as a humbling of ourselves before you, an acknowledgment that your ways are above our ways, an acknowledgment that our hope is in you, not in money, not in homes, not in clothes, not in cars, not in jobs. Our hope is in you, Father. And every cent that comes in our possession is because of you. You've given us the ability to work. You've given us bodies to work with and minds to work with. You've given us opportunity to work. It's from you that we receive all things. And through this act of worship, Father, I pray that we would humble ourselves and surrender back to you, just that small portion that you ask of us. And Lord, I pray that this church would use those funds for your glory and for your honor, that we would be good stewards of those funds, Lord. 
And finally, Lord, we pray for Grady as he gets ready to preach the word of God this morning. Lord, I know that he is prepared, that he has sought you. Um, and Lord, we just pray that you would allow him to clearly communicate and articulate the word, uh, your word, and, and, and to remember and, and, and to be able to express all the things he studied and learned this week. And that we would be encouraged, Lord, I pray your word would bring conviction and it would bring change and it would bring fruit and that we would leave here changed, Lord. We just thank you for your word, that it is living and active and that we would experience that this morning, that you, Holy Spirit, would help us to understand your word today. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen. James chapter 4. We come today to what I believe is the most important verse in the whole book of James. We come today to what I think is the hinge verse. I've been alluding to this verse all along the way during these last several months of our study, and we finally get to come to it today. Now, to understand why James chapter 4 verse 6 is so very important, I want to remind you of what I mentioned to you last week, because if you weren't with us last week, I want to kind of paint the picture of what James is doing. And the best way to describe what we're coming to in this verse this morning is to, again, think about going to the doctor. And again, I remember I brought this up last week. I know some of you that instills fear in your heart, but let's think about going to the doctor once again. When you go to the doctor for your annual physical, at the outset, he gives you the big picture of what you're to be like. Your doctor, he or she, will tell you this is what your blood pressure should be, and this is what your cholesterol should be, this is what your weight should be, this is how she should be exercising, this is what she should be eating or not eating. After giving you the big picture, the doctor then proceeds to tell you how you measure up to that, right? That's, well, here's what your blood pressure really is, and here's what your weight really is, and you know you really should exercise, and they kind of give you the, the bad news, if you will. But what comes up after the bad news is the treatment plan, what you're to do with information that they've shared. Now, here's where you're supposed to be. Here's where you've fallen short. Now, here's what I want you to do to get back to where you need to be. That, in a sense, friends, is what James has been doing for us here. In James chapters 1, 2, and 3, we have a picture of what our lives are to be like. We keep calling this walking in faith, how we live out what we claim to believe. And James has laid out for us very clearly what walking in faith looks like, what God's expectation is for us of how we live out our faith. And as we've seen, that covers a multitude of things from how we view trials to how we relate to one another and to how we speak. All that falls under this big picture that we've been seeing in those first three chapters of what our lives are to be like. Then last week we came to the diagnosis. We came to verse 4 and 5 of James 4 that showed us how we measure up. And if you remember, the diagnosis was not good at all. What he told us last week when we look at our lives was he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? He said, this is the standard of what walking in faith looks like, but we are falling short. I fall short, you fall short, we all fall short. We miss the standard, something the Bible calls sin, because we do not walk in faith like we should. And like we saw last week, friends, when we do not walk in faith as we should, when we get that bad news, this is not a trivial thing. Our hearts are so deceitful, they want to justify sin in so many ways. But we saw last week that God takes our sin, our failure to walk in faith, so seriously, he calls it spiritual adultery. It's turning our backs on God when we link up with the world and live like the world. So he's shown us the big picture of where we're supposed to be. He's shown us that we're falling short. Now today we come to the verse that if you want to think in the doctor's terms is the treatment plan. Now what do we do about this? Here's God's standard. Here's where we're falling. Now what do we do about that? It's, I believe, the key verse of this whole book because it shows us what we do when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of where we're not walking in faith. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of committing spiritual adultery and being friends with the world instead of friends of God. 
But friends, this verse is also full of hope. And so I've been thrilled for the last 28 weeks getting ready to get to this verse, because this verse is full of so much hope. Friends, we can go to our earthly doctors, and we can get diagnoses for which there is no cure. And we've all walked through, if not ourselves, with loved ones or friends, when they've gotten the diagnosis from the doctor and saying, I'm sorry, there's nothing else we can do. But that verse we looked at last week, that, that hard verse from last Sunday, where he says, you adulterous people, that's not a diagnosis for where there's no hope. Because we come to the hope this morning, friends, in verse number six. Even if we've turned our backs on God, even if we've linked our values and loyalties to the world, there is still hope. So read our verse this morning. I want you to be looking for what is the hope for change? What is the hope when we realize we're not walking in faith like we should? So we come to James chapter four, just one verse this morning, verse six. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the word of God, if you're able. James chapter four, verse six. I'm reading out the English Standard Version, and the words will also be on the screen. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, before I pray over this verse in our time together, I want us to read this verse out loud together. It's a short text this morning, but it's so pivotal in understanding the whole book of James. So I want us to read it out loud together. I've not won everyone in the room to the English Standard Version yet, so we're going to read it off the screen. So we're all reading out of the same translation this morning. But let's say this aloud together. Say it with me. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pray with me now, friends. Father, we thank you for the hope that you give us. Lord, you see our sin, you see our depravity, you see how far short we fall. But God, we are thankful that you give more grace. So God, would you take your word this morning and would you use it to help us understand the amazingness of your grace to us? Would you also use it to encourage us where we need encouraging to run after you? Would you use it to bring conviction to where we all need conviction, Lord, where we've fallen short? Would you use your word today to further grow us as your people so that we can be who you desire for us to be? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. So this morning, I want to have a main idea for us, and when we come to the end, I'm going to give you a second main idea There's going to be a question. So there's two big things this morning. First, an idea for the text, and when we conclude, a question for us to consider. But first, let's start with the main idea of this text. It's simply this, friends. God gives us more than enough grace to live out our faith. God gives us more than enough grace to live out our faith. What I want you to see this morning as we start with this, the text does not start with what we need, we need to do. We look at that awful diagnosis from last week of how far short we fall in walking in faith. That's not a call for us just to try harder or do more. It starts, the answer starts, the treatment So we get to see this morning that our hope for change, our hope to actually walk in faith is in what God has done for us in giving us grace. And not just a little grace, but more than enough grace for everything we need to live out our faith, to walk in faith. So let's kind of take apart that idea this morning of God about our faith. And start with the idea here of God giving. Because that's the main part of this text, that God is the one who gives to us things. Look back in verse 6 this morning. And notice this verse is bookended beginning and end with what God does. But he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We're told twice here that God gives. Now, this is not a new theme, friends. We've seen all throughout the book of James that God is a giving God. James chapter 1, verse 5. You think back some 20-something weeks ago when we got to that one. We were told, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who does what? He gives. And he gives how much? God gives 
generously. We already saw that in his character. We saw that in James chapter 1, verse 17 as well. Every good, what's the next word? God's gifts. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, is from, down, is from God. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is an unchanging God and he loves to give good gifts. It's part of his character. It's part of his nature. It's his attribute. And we've seen this not just in James. We saw this when we studied John. We saw this when we studied Psalms. We saw this in Ephesians. And perhaps one of my favorite verses of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, reminds us of God giving. In Ephesians 1, 3, we're told, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. He's given to us blessings, friends. He's given us blessings in Christ with, notice this next phrase, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That God is a giving God and his character and his nature is natural, and he delights in giving things to his children. Don't miss that, friends, that God delights in giving good things to his children. Now, Scripture tells us many of the good things he gives to us. We see a glimpse of that in Ephesians 1 there with every spiritual blessing. But James hones in on one of God's good gifts this morning. Go back to verse 6. But he gives more grace. And we talk about grace a lot. It's probably one of my favorite Bible words. You probably hear me use it all the time. So what is grace? Let me just remind us at the outset, big picture what grace is. Grace is receiving things we do not deserve. Grace is receiving things we do not deserve. We often talk about God's mercy and his grace. Now, God's mercy is when we do not get what we deserve. His grace is what we get when we do, what we do not deserve, when he gives us things we do not deserve. You probably heard me use the analogy before, but the best way I can think about the difference in mercy and grace is imagine you're driving home today from church and you're going a little bit too fast down Vaughn Road. You see the blue lights behind you, right? And you pull over and the policeman pulls over, pulls over behind you. He comes over and says, hey, this is a 35 zone and you're going 70. And you're like, I'm hungry. My pastor preached too long at church, you know, whatever. And so, and so the policeman says, you know, I'm feeling merciful today. I'm not going to give you a ticket. Mercy, you deserved a ticket. You were speeding, but he chose not to give it to you. So that is mercy. You're not getting what you deserve. But then he looks and he says, man, I'm sorry. Your pastor was so long winded today. Here's 50 bucks. Go treat you and your family to lunch. Have a good day. That's grace. He's not just not giving you what you deserve in the ticket. He's now blessing you with something that you didn't deserve at all, but he's just blessing you with that. That's grace. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. And in Scripture, there's different types of grace. There's something you call common grace. Common grace is God's kindness, his good gifts to everyone, regardless of whether or not they're followers of Christ or not. We talk about his common grace, his grace to the world. It's given to believers and unbelievers alike. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. God provides food for Christians and non-Christians alike. He provides us with temporal blessings. Even he restrains sin. I know we look at the world and it seems like things are spinning out of control, friends, but they're not as bad as it could be. As hard as that can be to believe sometimes, God is restraining sin for the good of the world. That's his common grace, his common kindness, giving things that the world does not deserve, but to the world for the good of the world. That is grace. That's not what James has in view here. There's a second type of grace in Scripture besides common grace, and we call, often call that his saving grace. His saving grace. This is when God opens our eyes to our sinfulness and opens our eyes to who he is, and he turns our hearts from not loving him to loving him. He turns our hearts from our sin to wanting to walk with him. He draws us to himself. It's his saving grace that takes wretches like us and makes us into his saints when he gives us eternal life. When we studied Ephesians together more than a year ago, a lot of the grace we talked about in Ephesians was his saving grace. This is only for followers of Christ, only for people who confess faith in Christ. His saving grace when he turns our hearts from our sin to him. And that's grace. That's God's kindness to us who are undeserving. 
That's very much grace, but that's still not what James is talking about here today. James has a different type of grace, and there's a third type of grace. It's what we would call sustaining grace. Sustaining grace, the grace we need day by day to walk with God. The grace we need each day to live for Him. The grace we need to love God in response. The grace we need to face any and every situation. His sustaining grace. And that, friends, is what James is talking about right here. This is the phrase I use so much that I know you could all quote when I talk about grace upon grace upon grace. That's the idea here. We got that from John chapter 1, verse 16. I know this was a long time ago when we studied John three years ago, but I just want you to see this again because I use this phrase a lot. From His fullness, we have received grace upon grace. This idea that sustaining grace that God gives us everything we need. So friends, the fact that you're here today means you've received common grace. If you are in Christ and know you're a child of God, you have received saving grace as well. And the fact that God is not done with us yet, he's still working us, that's his ongoing sustaining grace that he gives lots and lots and lots of. And the sustaining grace helps us in so many ways, friends. If we're struggling with sin, whether it's a public sin or a private sin, if we're struggling with sin, God loves to give us grace upon grace, the sustaining grace to help us overcome. He gives us the grace upon grace we need to find victory over that sin so we can walk in holiness. And friends, this sustaining grace also helps us when we face obstacles in life that seem insurmountable. God delights in giving grace upon grace, whether it's a terminal disease we're facing, whether it's a death of a loved one, whether it's a loss of a job or some financial hardship you're walking in. When you hit those points in life going, I don't know how I'm going to get through this hardship, God loves to give us grace upon grace, a sustaining grace, so that we can find hope and joy and peace in the midst of whatever hardships life throws at us. But the sustaining grace he gives us also is what God gives us when we find it where we think is impossible to obey God. If God says, I want you to move and go reach the unreached people group in Ethiopia that Seth prayed for this morning, we go, I don't know how to do that. His sustaining grace gives us the power to step out in obedience. When God, from his scripture, calls us to forgive people who've wronged us or perhaps are still wrong, as you go, I don't know how to let go of the bitterness. I don't know how I can do that. God gives us sustaining grace so that we can do what we think we could never do in our own strength. You see, friend, what James is talking about here is how God sees our need for grace in every situation. And he delights in pouring out that grace upon grace to us as children for whatever we need. And friends, notice something here in this text. God does not give that grace in a stingy way. Now, as parents, we can be stingy sometimes in what we give to our kids. There are times my kids will ask for things, and I'll give it to them somewhat reluctantly, or I'll give them a little bit, especially if they're asking for chocolate, and it's in the afternoon. I might only give them a little bit. Okay, okay, I told you you could have some, so here's your little tiny piece of chocolate for the day. And we give it kind of stingily or in limited amounts. God doesn't do that with us. When we ask for grace to overcome sin, when we ask for grace to get through whatever trial or hardship, we're not sure how we're going to make it through. When we ask God for grace to obey him in what seems impossible to us, he doesn't just give us a little bit. He doesn't roll his eyes at us. He gives it generously, lavishly, and abundantly. Look back at verse 6 here. Notice the word that James uses. But he gives how much grace? More. How much grace? More Grace. Some of your translations says he gives greater grace. That's probably a more literal translation. That God gives greater grace. Well, well, more grace than what? Greater grace than what? Well, James doesn't tell us. He doesn't give us what the more or the greater is connected to. So we have to look back at the context. And what's the context here? James is showing us what walking in faith looks like. 
He's he's shown us our need to change. He's shown us how far short we fall of what God has called us to be. He's calling us to return to walking in faith. So what is the more grace? What is the greater grace? It is saying that there's more than enough grace than you could ever need to obey God. There's a, it was, we sing in some songs, there's a grace that is greater than all. We sing in some songs, there's a grace that is all of our sin. There's no obstacle we face, no trial we walk through, no sin that we're tempted with, that there's not an overabundant, lavish amount of grace from God, sustaining grace to change us and to get us through that. That means whether we have an ongoing need, whether we're walking through a catastrophic situation, whether we're tackling a sin strong in our life, whatever we face, there's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace to get us through that. So think about just what we've seen in James so far, friends. That means if we're struggling to find joy in the trial we're walking through, he gives more grace so we can. If we're having trouble finding God's wisdom and hearing God's wisdom, he gives more grace to give it to us. If we're struggling to be quick to listen and slow to speak, God gives grace to change us. If we're struggling to be doers of the word, God gives grace to change us. If we're struggling to have a heart for people in need, God gives more grace to change us. If we're struggling with partiality in the church, God gives grace to change us. If we're struggling with our tongues and having speech controlled by God, he gives grace to change us. If we're struggling with selfishness, God gives grace to change us. If we're struggling with finding humility and holiness and gentleness in our speech, he gives grace to change us. And if we're struggling to find peace in our hearts or wanting to make peace with others, he gives grace to change us, friends. Everything God has called us to do, he gives grace and more grace and more grace for us. And he loves giving it to us. God gives us more than enough grace to live out our faith. Now that raises a big question for us. Why don't we always experience that? If God loves and delights in lavishing us, his children, with all the grace we can need, plus more for every sin stronghold, every obstacle we face, every trial we walk through, why do we not always experience it? Why do those sins still take grip of us? Why do those hardships seem so hard? Friends, think back to that analogy of going to the doctor. Sorry for those who don't like doctors one more time with this one. But think about going back to the doctor again. Have you ever been to the doctor and they said, here's where you're supposed to be, here's where you are, now here's how you need to get there, and you didn't do exactly what they said. Have you ever been to the doctor and they gave you some treatment plan like, hey, you need to lose some weight, just quit eating chocolate, and go exercise every day. You go, mm, I like my chocolate, and I, like, and I don't really like to get up and go running. Ah, I think I'm okay right now. And in our pride, we reject the wisdom from this person who spent their life studying to help people. And we decide that we know better that we'll be okay if we don't do what we're told to do. Ever done that to the doctor? I think a lot of us probably have. That can happen spiritually as well. God in his grace loves to give us grace upon grace upon grace, but he puts a condition upon it. Now, we're not talking about saving grace. God's saving grace is unconditional. He just turns our hearts to him and draws us himself. We're talking about the sustaining grace, this day-by-day experience of all we need to walk with God. God puts a condition on us receiving this sustaining grace, which is really incredible. Think about here. There's this amazing, going hand in hand here, there's this amazing promise of God, I'll give you grace, but he says you have a responsibility to receive it. Just as you go to the doctor and can turn your back on what the doctor says and do your own thing, God says you have a responsibility in how you receive this daily sustaining grace. And that responsibility is quite simply to receive his grace in humility, to receive his grace in humility. Look back at verse 6 in James 4. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? To the humble. Here's the condition that God puts for us receiving this day-by-day sustaining grace is that we're to be humble. Now, what does it mean to be humble? What is humility? 
Let me take us back to something I shared with you when we studied Ephesians two years ago, just to remind us. In the Greek, when you see the word humble, it can be one of two words, the, the two different meanings here. In the Greek, humility can be a word that means to serve other people. Or second of all, it can be a word that means to be gentle. So what does it mean to be humble? To be humble means you see yourself as a servant to help others. The humble is not in it for himself or herself. The humble is in it to serve others. So the humble is someone who wants to serve God and to serve other people. They model the attitude that Christ himself had. And if we need a picture of what humility looks like, we just need to think of the example of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, gives us a beautiful picture of this. We're told to have this mind among yourself. This is the way we're to be thinking about ourselves and about God and about others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. That who, though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now look at this in verse 7. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a what? Of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If we want to get a glimpse of what humility looks like, we look to the example of Christ, who gave up things that were rightfully his for the sake of laying down his life to the point of death to serve us to give us redemption through his blood. So the humble is a person who sees himself as a servant. Now, why is that attitude, why is that mindset necessary to receive sustaining grace? Because, friends, that mindset affects how we approach God. That mindset will determine how we approach God. The humble person approaches God realizing that we deserve nothing from him apart from wrath. The humble person approaches God realizing that anything that he chooses to give to us is completely undeserved. The humble person approaches God wanting his will to be done, not our own. The humble person then prays not for my will to be done, but for God's will to be done. And in the weeks to come as we work through verses 7 through 10, we'll see a lot more of what humility looks like. But the big thing for us here is the humble come to God, not demanding that God conform to our desires. But the humble come to God seeking for God to conform us to his desires. Don't miss it. That's why humility has everything to do with receiving this sustaining grace. Because the humble come to God not demanding that God conform to us. Not demanding that God has to do things my way. God, this is how my life has to go. God, this is what you have to give me. God, this is what I, de- I demand of you. No, the humble comes to God not demanding for God to conform to our wants. The humble come to God longing for God to conform us to him. And when we go to God with that type of humility... He changes us. But when we go to God demanding, when we go to God from a place of pride and selfishness, do you remember what happens? Look back a few verses at verse number three. You ask and you do not receive. Again, God says no to some prayers. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. My friends, when we go to God, not in a place of of pride and demanding, but we go to God from a place of humility, wanting God's will to be done, in a place of talking to God in love and submission to him, desiring to serve him, desiring to serve others, we put ourselves in that path of his grace that transforms us, that sustains us through whatever we are facing. But friends, if that promise of humility puts us in the place of the path of his grace, there's a contrast, there's a warning that goes with us as well. One thing we've seen throughout James is he loves to paint pictures of contrast between the wise or the unwise, or from the person who's the peacemaker, the person who's the peacebreaker. We've seen these contrasts all along, and once again, there's a contrast here for us, that while God loves to give grace upon grace to his children when they humble themselves before him, there's a contrast possibility as well, and that's the obstacle of our pride. What happens when we let pride grip our heart? Look back at verse 6. But he gives more grace, therefore it says, notice this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to 
the humble. God opposes the proud. Now, I gave you a definition of humility earlier. It's to be a servant. is one who wants to serve and one who's gentle. Now, what is pride? In the Greek, there's two different words that can be translated pride here. And I think both words give us a picture. So in the Greek, one word for pride literally means to strain your neck. To strain your neck. Imagine someone who's kind of jutting their neck up and straining it high because they want to be above. Everyone else is straining their neck because they think they're above everyone else. They think much of themselves. But the second word for pride is to be blinded by smoke. To be blinded by smoke. Because a proud person is ultimately blinded by their own sin because they think they're so worthy. They're blinded to who God is. They're blinded to who others are. And they're blinded to think how great they are when they don't realize how low they really are. There's someone who's lost in the smoke of their own sin and selfishness. So if, if a humble person is someone who sees himself as a servant, a proud person is someone who sees themselves as a master. The proud is someone who sees himself as a master. A proud person acts like others exist to serve them. And friends, in approaching God, a proud person acts like God is there to serve them in every desire they want. A proud person is someone who goes to God acting like it's God's obligation to get him or her happiest, easiest, most comfortable and wealthiest way possible. A proud person is focused on self instead of focusing on God and others. And friends, that's a real danger for us. Even as followers of Christ, pride can grip my heart and pride can grip your heart. And there's so many ways that pride can creep in. There's a great book in the Resource Center. I feel like I'm saying this every week now. But there's a great book in the Resource Center called From Pride to Humility by Stuart Scott. It is a way to find pride in our hearts so let the Holy Spirit expose it and bring conviction and shows us what humility looks like. He gives 30 indications of pride in a very painful list in that book. And we mentioned just a few, not all 30. He says, if we see these things, these are warning signs that pride is creeping into our heart. A lack of gratitude, anger outbursts to others, seeing ourselves as better than others, having an inflated view of our importance, having an inflated view of our giftings, talking too much, talking too much about ourselves, having to always be in control, being hurtful, being degrading, not serving others, not being compassionate, not admitting when we're wrong, not asking other people for forgiveness, voicing our opinions when they're not asked. Ouch. Um, maximizing other people's shortcomings while minimizing our own. Like, you know, he goes on and on. That's just a glimpse of some of the things, but it just shows us how subtly pride can creep into our hearts and how easily we can all be blinded by the sin, straining our necks, thinking that we're better than we are, blinded in our own smoke and missing how big God is and how unworthy we are. Friends, when pride grips our hearts, notice the consequence. Yes, we miss the blessing of God we're talking about here, but even more, we get the opposition of God. Go back to verse 6 again. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God, what's this next word, friends? God does what? opposes. God opposes the proud. Now, again, this is written to believers. Let me just remind you what we talked about last week. This opposition from God is an opposition to lead us to repentance. It's an opposition for God to break us of our self-reliance so we run back to God for what we need. And friends, when we do not respond to that discipline, when we do not, when we let pride control us instead, the irony is we're rejecting the very help that we need. Instead of humbling ourselves before the Lord, when we let pride control our hearts, we're actually taking ourselves away from the very thing we need, and we're trying to find it in ourselves, and we are destined to fail in that. As one author said this week, and this one's really stuck with me, he said, a proud life is hard to grace. A proud life is hard to grace. Friends, pride takes us off the pathway of receiving that sustaining grace, that grace upon grace that we need for every day. So let's try to bring all this together, friends. God's plan for us is to give us more than enough grace to live out our faith. 
God's desire, his plan, his will for you and me, if we are children of God, is to have grace upon grace upon grace, more than enough grace for whatever sin stronghold we need to find victory over, for whatever obstacle we're trying to get through, whatever trial we're trying to walk through, whatever hardship we're facing, whatever command we need to obey, whatever radical steps he's calling us to do, his will for us is to give us all the grace we need plus more to be able to do that. But friends, that amazing truth also demands a question of us. And I want us to think about this question as we close this morning. And it's simply this, friends. Will we receive God's grace and humility or will we reject it in our pride? God offers us his sustaining grace, his grace upon grace. And the question for us is, are we going to receive it humbly as his children? Or are we going to reject it in our pride? Friends, when it comes to overcoming sin, when it comes to obeying God, when it comes to walking through trials, when it comes to doing hard things or living out our faith, God gives us all we need. But will we receive it? And really, whether or not we receive it is a more fundamental question. And that is, am I going to humble myself before God? Am I going to raise my neck and be blinded by the smoke of my own pride? Friends, if we realize we're in a place of pride, what do we do? If we realize that we're missing out on this amazing grace of God to help us through these days, or the amazing grace of God to transform us, what do we do? It's a simple word I gave us last week. We repent. We repent from that pride that has kept us from God. Friends, repentance is ultimately an act of humility. Repentance is ultimately an act of humbling ourselves before God. And one of the best places for us to start repenting is to repenting of the pride that kept us from repenting. That makes sense? We need to repent of the pride that keeps us from repenting so much of the time. And we humble ourselves before them. We cry out to God, asking for forgiveness of the pride in our heart, asking for him to change us and to remove it and to humble ourselves before him. And as we do that, friends, it puts us in the path of grace that God delights to give. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Friends, I want to ask you, is that your experience? Is that your experience? Are you finding grace today? This week, have you experienced God's grace upon grace to help you overcome sin? Have you this week found God's grace to get you through a trial that you've been walking through? Have you found this week God's grace helping you obey when you thought, I never knew I could even do that? Have you found God's grace this week to help you walk with God and to know him closely? And friends, if there's areas of our life where the Holy Spirit shows us that we're not walking with God, let's humble ourselves before him. He loves us and he's inviting us to do that. And we go to him in humility and in prayer. And as we humble ourselves before him and say, God, forgive me. God, draw me close. God, change me. The promise here is for us that God gives more grace. So let's be a people this week, Gateway, who asks God for more grace and humbles ourselves before him and trusts him to keep his promise and to give it to us. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that you are a giving God. That God, that you are not stingy in your offer of grace. God, you've given us a common grace that we all experience as people. God, you've given us saving grace that you took us who were your enemies and you have made us your friend. And yet you didn't stop there. You have graced us with grace upon grace, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You've blessed us with forgiveness. You've blessed us with transforming work. You've blessed us, God, with just hope in the trials. God, you have blessed us in so many ways. So God, we just want to pause and say thank you. God, thank you seems so inadequate for all the grace that you've poured out to us. God, we could never have deserved this. We could never have earned this. We could never have gotten this on our own. But you looked upon helpless people like us and poured out your grace in such rich ways. God, we know this grace that we experience is only possible because of what Christ has done for us. If Christ hadn't shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, the only thing you could give us was punishment. 
and wrath because we've offended you. We've offended your standards. We've broken your walls. We've turned our backs on you and we've hated you. But because of what Christ has done, you've forgiven all of that. And you see the righteousness of Christ when you look at us. Lord, I pray this week in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters here on campus and those worshiping from home or on vacation today, God, that you would increase our awe and wonder at your grace that you've so lavishly given to us. God, forgive us for so taking for granted our experience of grace. But God, would you increase our just awe this week that we are recipients of what we could never have deserved. And may we worship you in return. And Lord, those areas to where our pride has taken us away from that path of grace, where we've been turning from your counsel and running after our own ways and linking up with the world's values. God, in your love for us, would you convict us of those things this week? Would you show them to us so we don't stay blinded by our own sin and pride? And may you draw us close to you this week that we can humble ourselves before you and receive even more of your transforming grace this week. Lord, now we pray that you'll be pleased as we sing this song to you, to thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done, that you have taken us, your enemies, and you've seated us at your table. May even as we sing this song, may our hearts be full of wonder at the grace we have received. And we pray in doing so, Lord, that you will be glorified and our hearts will be full of the joy of walking with you that we need for this week ahead. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song? Jesus, thank you for 
sacrifice God that makes that possible that God in sin we come into this world father enemies of you God but through your redemption God through your blood you're able to make us friends of you God and we're able to not be abandoned from you God but to be able to dwell in your house God and to 
sit at your table and feast with you, God. God, thank you for the grace that you pour out on us, Father. The mercy, God, that you pour out on us each and every day, God. Just in the very waking us up every morning, God. The breath you give us in our lungs, God. And allow us to wake to receive another day, God. May those days not be wasted, God. May we see it as your grace, God. May we look for opportunities, God, to share your gospel with a lost and dying world who needs You have not saved us to sit idly by, God, but you have saved us to do your work, to go and tell of that good news, God. We thank you for it. It's the name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.